0: welcome to a conversation of change with dr jen Fram, where we talk all things leadership change and transformation and hello everybody welcome to a rather unique conversations of change episode um this one's pretty special, and I'm rather chuffed to say that I am bringing you an exceptional panel of expertise to focus on helping managers and leaders think about what they need to do as they move into the next phase. You know, whatever we want to call that. And, and to be honest, I'm not really sure what we do call that at the moment. So I'm hearing re-entry, reboarding, reintegration, the new normal. You know, I'm hearing all these kind of terms and I, I, I don't know which one to pick up on at the moment, but um, one of our guests, Melissa Dark, uh, suggested that the name of this podcast uh, episode be Only Forward and the optimistic, action-oriented person uh, that I am absolutely loved that. So... For those uh, in the spirit of, I guess, doing things in differently and change, for those of you who are listening at the moment, we're trying something a little bit different with this podcast and we're actually recording it, video recording it. and We'll be posting it on uh, YouTube and through our social channels. So if you hear some slight awkward pauses I will endeavour to translate some of the faces that are being pulled at me um, if you're actually not watching this on YouTube at some time in the future. But as I said, we have assembled an exceptional panel of expertise. It is a version of a communications expert, an organisational psychologist, an innovator and a change consultant walks into a bar. And I'm going to go around the panel now and ask each of them to introduce themselves. Melissa, over to you.
1: Thanks, Jen. Um, And thank you for for organising this and bringing us together. Um, I uh, have been working in organisational change and engagement, uh, sorry, organisational communication and and engagement for more than uh, 25 years now and been consulting for about 15. Um, I have recently become a bit more involved in stakeholder engagement and collaboration, um, both internally and externally, particularly with um, infrastructure projects. And um, along with Jen, I am the founder of Busting Silos, which is a program that increases collaboration skills in organisations. That's terrific. Thanks, Melissa.
0: Tim, our innovator in the mix, tell us about yourself. (laughs)
2: Um, I I am an erstwhile philosopher and philosophy academic, now entrepreneurial educator. Um, I teach at UTS Business School and a couple of MBA programs there, um, which is a great privilege and a lot of fun. Um, I'm a startup enthusiast, uh, innovation um, advocate, um, design sprint facilitator. And um, I'm just like a hardcore generalist, really. I live on Twitter.
0: <laughs> Not a bad place to live. Now, speaking of on Twitter, we have um, from over in the UK, Hayley Lewis. Some of you may be familiar with Haley on Twitter for fabulous content on organizational psychology. Hayley, over to you. Thanks, Jen. Um, So, my name's Hayley. I'm
3: here in good old Blighty, so in the UK. Uh, I'm an organisational psychologist by profession. I've I've been in the profession for over 20 years, Um, and in relation to change, I've been on various sides of the table. So, um, I've supported organisations as a consultant, Um, I've been the other side in operational management and leadership roles, having to actually lead the change. Uh, I've got the battle scars to prove that. Um, And like Tim, I also lecture at several universities um, on organisational change and in particular culture change and the factors that enable that to succeed.
0: Fabulous! Well, welcome aboard. Now, Melissa, you were the brains trust uh, with the idea for this conversation.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the origin of where the idea came from? Sure. So, I was talking with a friend of mine who um, works in state government and and has a large team to manage, and she was just saying to me. Um, that she just wished that somebody would come along and 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 tell her what it was she needed to do to um, to take her team forward and to move through the next um, coming you know weeks and months um, to to really help people and and get the best from um, from everybody and and from herself as a leader. And I thought that was a really interesting challenge, and you know certainly. Um, it's something we're all, you know, facing. Um, and whilst I, I, could think of a few things myself, I also thought that it was very much a bit of a, a cross-disciplinary problem that needed input from a lot of different, um, a lot of different spaces. And so I came and had a chat with you, and, and we had a bit of a talk about um, who we thought might be some good people to to join us for a conversation in kind of responding to to that question, and um, And, yeah, getting people thinking on this topic. Excellent. Fabulous. So I'm thinking we've got the the four of
0: us have wandered into a bar. Uh, How about we pop around the bar and see what people's initial impressions are and responses to your friend's question and challenge. So, Melissa, I'm, I'm curious, did you respond to her in the moment? Did you give her a set of here's what you should do?
1: I didn't actually. No, I I I kind of said yes. I think that's that's a very good question. <laughs> I need to go away and think about that. Um, and and to be honest, I have been continuing to think about it because I, it's it's a big problem and um, or a big question. I mean, and um, can be sort of um, uh, answered in in so many different ways when you you know you think about sort of the the minute kind of detail through to the more high level um, approach. I guess um, there's two things that have um, occurred to me that that really are the things that I would advise. The first one is don't be too quick to move into the everything's okay now phase. Like even once everyone is back, you know, in offices perhaps, um, I think... it's going to take a long time before everything is okay again um, we need we need a transition period and we need to be very um, understanding and cognizant and kind about people having that transition period and the fact that people are going to have different transition periods you know there are some people who will be, Um, just extremely grateful to have a job and that will be their motivating factor. There will be people who are still extremely concerned about the environment and they're going to be worried about what it might mean for them. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is... um, I think it's a great time to revisit purpose and to really think about um, the purpose of the organisation, of your team, of what you're trying to do, what you're delivering to your customer or to your um, stakeholder. And that's a great thing to motivate people around again is just to be, um, to be clear about that and to be sure that everyone has a shared understanding. Lovely, lovely. Um,
0: For the benefit of those listening at the moment, there was a lot of nodding going on uh, with the panel at the moment. So I'm I'm curious, Tim Rayner, how do you think that uh, you would have responded in the moment to Melissa's friend?
2: Well, um, historically pandemics have been the triggers of wide-scale change and really our our economies and organizations have been moving towards some kind of inflection point for, um, years and years now. And I, I, I feel that the, the pandemic and the, and the, uh, the the trauma of the, the virus plus the recession, which we only just on the brink of now is it's, it's a wake up call. Um, and I think it's, 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 it's necessary for for leaders to reflect on well t- two things. In the first first case, the, the, the first being that this thing is not over. We're really just we're just at the beginning of it. Um, you know, um, there's there's no virus, uh, so no um, vaccine at this point. They're saying twelve to eighteen months away, um, and the uh, the health authorities are well aware that there is every chance that we'll see. A second wave of infections, which could just lead us straight back into lockdown. What I'm saying is that as we enter back into work life, we have to keep in mind that it's, this is not over. The, the risk is still there and we have, to, we have to behave as if we are in the middle of the crisis, even though we're getting back to some kind of supposed normal. Um, the other thing that we need to be aware of is that the recession is... Is is going to be big and long-lasting. KPMG are predicting a U-shaped recession that could last up to 2022 in Australia, and that's assuming we don't see a second wave of infections. Um, So um, I think leaders need to um, be thinking about how to make their organizations lighter and faster, uh, more agile, uh, again, this this was a direction that so many organisations have been heading for years. But I I think that the coronavirus is a real inflection point and uh, a moment that um, a moment that demands change.
0: Mm-hmm. Some sobering stuff in there. Um, in. Handing over to Hayley, I will share with the listeners who may not be watching this on video that she most helpfully does have a coffee cup saying keep calm, which is kind of what you would want in someone in her field. Hayley, over to you. (laughs) What's what's your response to Melissa's friend? Um,
3: So it's really interesting because I have an analogy in my head as you and Melissa were sharing um, Melissa's friend's kind of question and it you know so speed how fast or slow um any subsequent changes on the other side whenever that may be whatever that might look like is crucial and the analogy I had in my head as as Melissa was speaking was um, I'm not a diver by the way um but we know that when you come up from a deep dive you shouldn't go too fast Mm. because you get hypoxia Um, So you get the bends. And and that's the analogy that I had in in my head. You you can't shoot to the surface and come up for air too fast. There's something about the pace that you set um, for the organization, but also yourself as a leader. And so that leads to my second point around Mm self-compassion. So I'm working with a lot of leaders and managers who are driving themselves so hard. Um, And we need to be mindful that they're not just driving themselves hard for their organisations or their teams. They're also supporting family members and and doing all that other stuff as well. So there's something about um, being compassionate to yourself. Mm. Um, And the third third thing that kind of sprung to mind, we know that organisational values tend to reflect the zeitgeist, Mm. uh, the age. If you like, and so I can't help but wonder, and I suppose it relates both to both Mrs. and Tim's point, around this pandemic is something that is unlike anything certainly I've ever seen, but I think any of us have ever seen, and and what will that mean for it in terms of a shift in society and what matters and doesn't matter to society, and therefore what will the ripple effect be? In terms of values and new values that organisations need to instil in their workforce, hmm.
0: Hmm. I think um, from my perspective. So, in, in I guess responding to Melissa's friend, and it's 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 a live response at the moment for me and for a lot of clients, is the recognition that the period we've just been through has been considerably, you know, a large piece of forced change, um, which. Has been quite widespread and you know typically when a company goes through forced change it's usually for very grim reasons Um, and you know you might be lucky as a worker to be in one of those companies in your lifetime whereas now the majority of our population have been through this process and with the call to agility which i totally hear tim you know what you're saying that we need to be lighter and more agile is the recognition that the agile methodology approach philosophy has a lot of rituals in it which are about stopping and pausing. And perhaps this ties in, Haley, with what you're saying about with the, the pacing um, and the not going too fast, that my advice to Melissa's friend is it's probably, you know, as you re-enter whatever, whatever language we're using, um, the workforce is actually to take a moment to pause, to do a retrospective, you know, work out what we've loved, what we've longed for, what are we going to take with us going forward? Um, to be mindful about it as a change event that has been forced change. I think that's what I would have said. It could change from day to day. We um, we we throw it out to uh, on the socials to get some questions in from people who are listeners and. We got um, a lot of questions, so we're going to do our best to get through as many as we can on this. But I think one of the themes that came up um, was this notion about uh, trust and transparency, psychological safety, you know, what does performance management look like in this world post-COVID? So, you know, particularly, and it, it was in context of, People are continuing to work from home. Um, so, I'm curious, is there anyone in the panel who wants to pick up those themes and, and what that means for a workforce? Hayley.
3: So, I think the the, the, so the main people that I work with on a day to day basis are middle and senior managers. And I think for lots of people, particularly in the Western world, um, our, our identity. Our sense of self-worth gets wrapped up with our job mm-hmm. uh, and the higher up we go and the more power we get that kind of that that kind of inextricable link between our identity our power our position etc only, only then it kind of gets more enmeshed and I think issues around trust in particular are and, 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 you know, I can't see my staff, they're working from home or wherever they are. They're fortunate enough to work from home, some can't. Uh, but I can't, I can't see them in the way and I can't interact with them in the way that I have done in the past. And so what does that mean for me in my role? Am I redundant? You know, and I think, it, I think, I think we're going to see some really interesting stuff around what it means to be a manager in particular um, in the 21st century on the back of this pandemic. So the old notions of what it means to be a manager that stem from, you know, uh, Taylorism in the 20s, etc., cetera, um, which we still carried into now, I think we've busted that wide open. And, and I, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm already seeing some identity
1: crises with some of my coaching clients. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Melissa? I think um, it's probably more of an observation than than a conclusion at this point. But a couple of the organisations I've been working with, I've, I've really observed that what this has done has been to reveal in a very incredible way the underlying DNA of the organisation and what kind of organisation it really is and what its values and purpose really mean. And so for one organisation which is... A very values-based organisation. They have responded to this um, situation in a in a way that's very much in line with those values. So there hasn't been a lot of issue with trust when it comes to remote working because the value of the organisation is that, you know, good people will do the right thing and so they've just believed that the good people will do the right thing and, and so that's just how it's been. And there have been people doing all kinds of things with their work hours, some people working um, morning and then stopping for the afternoon to do childcare and then going back in the evenings and that, that's all sort of been absorbed really quite easily. Another organisation that I've worked with, much more traditional, much more command and control... And they're really struggling. They're struggling so much with this um, because the command and control kind of breaks down when the the communication channel is not there, which is typically, you know, checking to see if people are sitting at their desk. Um, So I think what it's going to mean if I sort of take this a step further is that, perhaps those organisations that had the more traditional structure, which they have sometimes for very good reasons, like it's not just because they're rigid or old-fashioned, sometimes there are reasons for that, they're, they're going to have a harder job finding a way to, to make this new way of working, um, you know, work with their culture.
0: Mm. I
1: do. Tim, have you got anything to add to that?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting a little dialogue box that says my internet connection is unstable. <laughs> so please excuse well, me if I sound unstable at any point. <laughs> uh, Good excuse. But no, I, I really um, resonate with uh, what Melissa just said about the, um, the struggle that organizations with, a, with, a, with an, an old school command and control culture um, are having at this point. And we'll have managing employees who are uh, working remotely and and thus not you know amenable to being um, micromanaged in the usual ways. Um, um, I think I think it's it's it, this is the moment for uh, organizations to really deliver on the talk of being human centered and wanting to build a human centered organization um, because we do need these organizations for the Agile future that is coming, um, and, and trust is just a key part of it. Now, there's, there is a, there's a, there's a, trust and transparency have this uneasy relationship with one another. Um, uh, you, you don't create trust by insisting on mandatory transparency. Uh, is it's the other way around, if anything, you know, I mean, trust happens when you say, well, okay, we're not going to monitor you, and we're not going to manage you, but we're just going to believe in you because we think you're great. But, you know, just as a little anecdote, um, my sister um, is, she's quite high up in uh, uh, culture in the Marriott chain, and she spent the past two years building up these amazing teams all around the world, and and now she's in the you know the, the terrible position of uh, you know, basically having to explain to them why they're being furloughed and maybe losing their jobs. Um, um, but um, you know she's she she herself is working without pay and has been doing so for months. But um, it, that's not a problem for her because she genuinely loves what she's doing, um, and she employs people who also have that passion for the work. Um, and if you can find those people and bring them into your organisation, you don't need to micromanage them because they actually, they, they believe in your values, they believe in your purpose and they'll just, they'll work for your organisation because they really believe in it. That, that's, that's what leaders and organisations need to be aspiring to. So
0: it's, it's interesting that we return to purpose because I know that one of the questions that was raised was will purpose still matter post-COVID? Or with the pressure to, you know, the financial pressure, the recession that you spoke of, the U-shape, will we revert or move to a model where we get very, very transactional around what skills do we have? You know, so is there still a place for purpose or is it actually let's get really, really focused on what skills we need to survive, I guess?
2: Tim? Tim? If I could just leap straight back in, I yeah. mean, I, I I think that purpose is more important than ever. Um, I think um, you know, customers and consumers demand it. Um, uh, they 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 expect it. They're well aware of the, the great challenges that uh, we're all facing as as societies and and, and civilizations and um, organizations have a huge role to play in there. Companies that just revert to the old kind of, you know, what's-in-it-for-me mindset um, really are not going to be looked favorably on, um, uh, whereas those companies that really double down on purpose and culture, I think that they will be the companies that people who believe in, they want to work for them, they want to, to shop with them or, or, or buy from them. So I think purpose is very important.
1: Melissa, you looked like you wanted to chip in there and have something to say. Was I forgot to put my hand up? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just going to say that I um, I actually did um, listen to a leader doing a, a, a talk, a you know virtual town hall um, uh, recently, um, and and he was basically saying that um, it was more important than ever to remember what the organisation was known for and to stick with that and to not not go chasing things that weren't relevant or not with the core business or undercutting with price or trying to just win stuff for the, for the sake of it because um, that, you know, previous experience, even though obviously this is a bit unprecedented, but previous experience had always shown that doing that didn't work out in the end, that you know that uh, that chasing after things that didn't align with what you're trying to achieve was not not relevant and not worth doing. So again, I think it does really come back to that what we we're saying earlier about purpose and about how organisations who really know who they are are um, really best placed that they've got a competitive advantage here. So the manager's role then is
0: to connect. Their employees to purpose, like to keep that as their touchstone going forward, perhaps more so than they would have in the past.
1: I agree, and I also would say that's very easy to say and quite <laughs> difficult to do.
0: <laughs> Indeed, I think um, one of the other questions that came forward, and Haley, I'd, I'd be keen on your view on this. It was in context of change. So in in any organisational change, um, we have a wide range of positions on what the change is from this is absolutely the best thing in the world to do we should have done it years ago versus this is absolute bollocks. Um, And so part of our role in change is to navigate and negotiate those polarities and things like that. And I'm kind of mindful that what we're going to see in our workplace is a representation of the public discourse, which ranges from we've gone too far, we're too restrictive, you know, there's science out there that tells us that we shouldn't be doing this versus, you know, our people matter, it's actually important to do this on behalf of marginalised groups and, you know, safety comes first of our people how do, you, how do you think we navigate those different positions in the workplace uh, which have the potential to be a real source of, of conflict? And I'm kind of mindful that it's not just going to be our people, it's going to be the leaders will be taking those different range of positions around whatever we choose to do in the organisation. Mm.
3: So I, I think one of the things I always, that I was always really mindful of, so when I, I worked in government, for a while, was employees were residents too. So I think sometimes organisations forget that their employees are also their customers at, at times, and so that kind of weeds together um, and can impact how. So your experience as an employee could impact your perception as a customer and vice versa. I think. Um, that's a really tough question to answer and the reason it's tough and it's a conversation actually I've been having with my husband quite a bit so he he studied economics and history so he's really interested in capitalism and and I think i think it's been it's been really interesting looking at some of the narrative i see it play out on social media and i know that social media is an echo chamber but you, at the very beginning of lockdown for a lot of countries, you had people saying, I never, I'm never getting involved with this company ever again mm. um, because they've behaved abominably to their staff, etc. <coughs> and I think that's really easy at the height, when our emotions are heightened. Mm. Um, but when the fabric of society, particularly <coughs> from a capitalist perspective, we're so reliant on the systems, etc. So I'll give you an example. It's really, it's really easy to talk badly about Amazon. You know, we know, we know. There's been programs been made about it about how Amazon um, treat their staff, particularly in the in the packing facilities and so you've had lots of people going I'm not using Amazon and yet we all use Amazon Mm. because they've made it easy to get stuff that we need or we think we need during the pandemic and so where am I going with this I think in I think our memories can be quite short and I think when we come out the other side whenever that might be I, I think well forget some of the behavior we've seen from some organizations and some of their leaders for the sake of convenience and Mm. so what does that mean for employees i I mean i i can't help but wonder actually how much things will change or how much they won't because there's a bigger thing at play bigger Mm. societal structures i went quite deep there and all over the place so i haven't answered your question but these are the things that i've been thinking
0: about oh i think I think we're all thinking about them because, to your point, you know, we're, we're going to see workplaces that have really, really stringent safety measures and protocols for, you know, when people come to work, when they don't, etc. The, you know, um, rostering people on every second day, all those kind of things, which will potentially slow down um, the economy. With that, we'll have other companies who are actually quite laissez-faire about it and willing to take the risk of what that might do to, you know, the the population at large. Um, Melissa, I'm curious, what's your messaging about this to your workforce, like from a communication perspective?
1: I think it's actually one of the most difficult, one of the most difficult things to answer because everyone... Uh, has their own level of comfort with, you know, the, their own personal safety and what they're prepared to risk. Um, as Haley was saying, everyone's sort of maybe come from a a perspective of, you know, having heard um, the political angles and the conspiracy angles and all of the news stories that have been sort of pouring over the top of us over the last few weeks, and, and potentially have very different ideas about. What should have been done, or what could still be done, and I think um, managing those in the workplace is going to be quite tricky. You know, what if you you go to work and person you know three to three desks down coughs? What happens? Like you know, um, and so I think um, I think the challenge for leaders here is to to try and. Make compromise. Try and find compromise um, between, especially if there are extreme views. You know, you might have one employee who's who's absolutely terrified of anything virus related, and one employee who thinks it's all a conspiracy and and complete fraud. Um, how do you bring those people back together and and focus? Um, particularly when actually, kind of coming to work plays into those those mindsets Um, so it's it's tricky i think this is going to sound a bit twee but i think it comes back to kind of kindness and actually just being accepting and being giving people some space and some kindness to feel the feelings they feel allow them and then sort of reason them back to a a moderate place um, I don't know, Hayley, as a psychologist, you've probably got more skill, more ideas about how you go about that. But that's sort of where I would go. Mm. Yeah, Hayley?
3: Yeah, so the, 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 the suggestion I've made to lots of the managers I've been working with, so, so they're all trying to answer these questions themselves. Yeah. Um the questions that we're we're kind of trying to endeavouring to answer on their behalf, they're trying to kind of come up with the answers themselves. And and I've pushed back and said, why don't you talk to your people about where their heads are at, about what they think they might need. They might not know, but it's the act of asking just because you're in the position of power doesn't mean you're this omnipotent being that has the answer to everything you're the oracle. Ask your people, you know, That's the simplest suggestion I can make and it's the easiest thing to do. And lots of the the managers and leaders I've been working with, I've been blown away by how blown away they've been with the kind of information they've got as a result, which has actually started to give them a bit of a roadmap for how they bring staff back together who might have a closing view about what work might look like. Moving
0: forward, so yeah, that would be my plea: is ask, ask your people. I think the the thing for me that comes out of this, from a, a change perspective, is if it was any other change, we eventually get to a point where those people at the polarities, the far extremes, have to make a call: do they stay with the organisation or not? Is this policy? Is this process? Is this culture? Is this you know? Am am I willing to spend the majority of my day in this organisation that embodies those. And so I, I do think there is a point where we actually have to f- have the conversation it sh- which is are we right for you, are you right for us based on where we're now at. Tim, what's your thoughts on that in terms of what you're seeing?
2: Um, well, um, I think, you know, just just to take a step back, uh, I think that the thing I found most inspiring about um australia's response to the the pandemic is 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 this sense that i get from everyone which is that we're all in this together and everyone seems to be well most people seem to be doing their best to play a responsible part in ensuring that the virus doesn't spread um and we we get a get a grip on it and australia has done phenomenally well at that i mean really um I think the whole na- I think we should give the whole nation a big round of applause because we've just done a tremendous job um, of just pulling together, and um, I think Australia will come out of that with a sense of of pride for the future. Um, I like to think that something similar can happen in organisations, and, and perhaps should happen too. You know, um, uh, uh, as an organisation, you are playing. You're, you're a collective and you're playing a collective role in ensuring that this situation does not get you know, infinitely worse. Uh, and, and so leaders should be promoting this mindset. We are all in this together. Maybe what we need is some kind of um, charter of principles that could be crowdsourced for the organization um, and worked out. We could agree on some sense of, set of principles and rules that everyone was happy happy with and everyone could just Sign up to it and say yes. I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to abide by these rules for the until we have the vaccine and we're out the other side of this. If people aren't happy with that, um, as you say, Jen, perhaps perhaps they're just not a good fit for the organisation. Mm. Um, it
0: it also begs the question for me though, and, and I'm mindful that a lot of our listeners um, do come from the change space and the agile space. Um, What does this all mean for change management going forward? Or even, you know, even the agile movement? Do we have winners and losers out of this?
2: Tim? Oh, um, certainly. I I think that's that's a really interesting question. I hadn't thought about it to this moment, but... um, it immediately makes me think of um, a fascinating article I read in the McKinsey Insights magazine recently about the post-pandemic organization. And I highly recommend you look it up if you haven't read it already. But um, the authors of that article start by making the point that large companies all over the world are kind of agog at how quickly they have changed in, in the past 12 weeks. And, and they kind of say, wow, you know, if, if we could actually do this uh you know why can't we be doing more of this um uh, and so i guess the question which i would throw back at you is if if organizations do wise up and realize that they are actually capable of radical accelerated change is there a role for um change management or can organizations just do it themselves
0: yeah i think i think this is um this is one of the things thats that I'm looking at is are we, are we going to enter a very dark phase where people say, well, we don't need any change management support at all because you all changed very fast, you know, you've changed fast enough when we needed to, you to without that support? Or will we see that those companies that really flourished were those that used principles of change management? And, gee, if we could have a bit more of that, then we would be far more you know, um, we, we would benefit with much greater returns. I don't know. Melissa or Haley, do you have a view on that? Haley, yeah. yeah, I think, um,
3: so, so just as we're talking about organisations and how they need to change, I wonder if change management, whatever you want to call it, kind of some people don't like change management or change as a profession and how we teach it needs to fundamentally change now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, So as well as kind of looking up and out and how we help organisations, we need to look at ourselves as practitioners Mm -hmm. and our skill set and our values. Um, And that kind of leads to my second point. One of the the amazing things that uh, I've seen here, so you take the NHS, our beloved NHS here in in the UK, um, which before the pandemic was known as... um, hugely risk averse the amount of forms and steps you'd have to go to just just to get permission to change is well known it's it's well known um, and yet they they've managed to sprint through stuff like clinical trials and so on and so forth and so as well as thinking about change and how we do that in the future and how we support organizations we also need to rethink our views of risk mm. So I've seen lots of organisations and organisational leaders absolutely reframe not only how they think about risk and what's risky and what's not, but how they then handle that. Um, And I think, again, that's really interesting for us as practitioners, for anybody teaching this stuff. Um, There's lots of thinking and there's lots of research that needs to be done now. And we need to take a good look at ourselves in the mirror as Mm -hmm. practitioners.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I think building on that actually uh, at the risk of using this term not quite correctly but the burning platform of COVID-19 is very different to the burning platform of the new performance management system you know um and so I think we need to be careful that we don't conflate the ability to change that's happened in this instance with other kinds of change because there's just not the same rationale or, you know, urgency. Urgency, absolutely. So so from that perspective, I personally think that change practitioners have still got a pretty safe job because organisations are still going to have to do changes that are not urgent or seen as, you know, as critical by employees, you know. Who really cares if you have to change my performance management you know, system that I use. I don't, I don't care. That's a change you want to make, you know. So I think there's still a role for people who need to um, guide organisations through that process. Um, but I do um, I do like Haley's point that one of the things that hopefully this situation has taught us is just how important the emotional and human connection of change is. Like, you know, we, we need to take care of people through in organisations.
0: I, I think there's there's two questions jumping out for me at the moment of what Hayley said. And so there's, um, bear with me while I work them through. The first one is, Hayley, you talked about our relationship with risk and I know, Tim, you've got some interesting thoughts on how do we see risk, you know, different, like how does, I guess, the corporate see risk versus the entrepreneur, which I think would be really interesting to tease out. I'm also um, really curious about your comment about us personally having to change and so that raises for me the question of like what is the mindset change that we want to see in ourselves as practitioners what's the mindset that change that we need to see in our leaders to go forward so perhaps can we pick up the risk question because I you know I always say change management is great risk mitigation um, but but tell me tell me the thinking about the difference in how we see risk and what might be the most useful lens now going forward
2: this is something I've been thinking a lot uh, about recently and and in saying that I I don't um, mean to suggest I have any kind of clear perspective on it in fact it's the opposite because I, I find the deeper I go into questions the more confused I become about the issues um, but certainly um, I think it's 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 clear that there are two very different ways that people talk about risk in the business world. Um, Established businesses have a lot to lose, and so when they talk about risk, they're usually thinking about somehow working to prevent losses, whether of customers or revenue or reputation or whatever. Um, When you go to a startup hub and you talk to a startup founder. Um, they'll say, oh, you know, I eat risk for breakfast. Everything's incredibly risky, but they're excited about that because when they talk about risk and think about risk, they're really thinking about, they're driven by desire, they're driven by aspiration, and the big risk for them is that they might put a lot of effort into trying to achieve something and it would not come off. So for them, risk is the risk of trying something and, and, and doing it wrong. Making a making a big foul up and 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 having a mistake, and I, I think this is it's interesting for leaders to think about these two kinds of risk because at this moment, uh, leaders need to be looking at their organizations and their business models and saying, well, what is what is the risk of what we stand to lose here, and how can we pro- how can we protect ourselves? That's the kind of the, the the mindset of fear, you know. That's 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 the defensive posture, but at the same time, they need to like clear away space to enable innovation teams, let's just say innovation teams, to go in there and say, oh, look, in the middle of all this chaos, there's a new opportunity here. Wouldn't it be great if we we, we went after that? That creates this new kind of risk, the risk that you might invest a lot of money, time and effort in trying to pursue this opportunity and do it really badly and and, and fail. So really the problem uh, to manage this problem, you need a whole different set of management approaches, different sets of metrics, different kinds of incentives and rewards, um, just to get people's mindsets right. Uh, the people who are trying to fend off the cataclysmic risks you know, need to be serious about what they're doing. They need to make that work. Whereas the people who are trying to seize new opportunities and, and reduce the risk inherent in that need to be driven by aspiration and desire to create something new. So it's a whole different kind of management structure in each case. And I think leaders need to be really clear about distinguishing those management approaches and implementing them.
0: So many thoughts going through my brain at the moment. Melissa or Haley. do you want to respond to that or do you want to pick up on the mindsets that we require? Because Tim also beautifully segued into mindset change then. Well
3: done, Tim. There's a a couple of uh, things that have popped into my head. So the first, just taking a few steps back, um, I think there's also something about the change profession, recognising that part of our role or part of our role has always been about making organisations and people within it self-sufficient. Certainly that's always been my ethos when I trained, developed, coached people around change and how to manage change. My my job is to step away. I, you know, I failed if, if they're still having to call me in. So there's something about, we should be really proud, actually, that lots of organisations have been able to do this, because that means we've done, lots of us have done our jobs well. Um, the, the other point that's front that of mind, as, as Tim was talking was around how courageous how brave we're seeing leaders being now so a lot of a lot of uh, i know for, for several of us a lot of our work is with the public sector is with government and often decisions and how risk is managed and how change is managed is wrapped up because you're trying to work to the court of public opinion because the public feels they own you so you've got millions of shareholders not just the board of shareholders. You're trying to please everybody, and so you're trying to have risk strategies and change, you know, plans that manage all that, and that can make us uh, quite scared. And it's been it's been wonderful to see so many of, of the leaders uh, that I've worked with and that I don't work with almost kind of break out of those shackles uh, and just be brave enough. To make decisions under pressure, um, under fire, in some instances, and just get on and do. And and the thing that I'm interested in is how we keep that going. How we enable those leaders who've been brave at the moment to keep that bravery going.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. I think that's that's great, and that's um, I guess where my brain has been going a little bit is in sort of helping leaders and managers to continue with some of this extraordinary kind of burden or emotional labour that they've been having to do um, and that, yeah, definitely um, bravery is a great word for it. Um, it's, it's also vulnerability. I mean, you know, we've we've been seeing into people's home lives quite literally, you know, and um, there's something a bit vulnerable about that Um, i know that i've i've been coaching a couple of clients and they've been um sharing that they feel that um having children interrupt them in meetings uh works against them if they're female and works for them if they're male um and and as leaders they're struggling with that you know kind of how much of myself do I show, and you know? But I don't have any choice <laughs> because you know the child's going to walk in anyway. Um, so I think there is there is a lot around personal risk for for leaders and managers as well around their own um, their own sort of leadership competencies and capabilities and um, and their vulnerability as as you know having to be kind of something for everybody and for their, for their people that, you know, they're in some cases even having to be psychologists for their staff, you know, helping people deal with mental health issues, which is, you know, not typically something you sign up for when you want to become a, a manager.
3: So.
1: I think for me, there's a really
0: interesting piece and it. It sort of picks up on, um, I think what you said, Tim and, and Haley and Melissa in that, The really successful organisations going forward are the ones that will get very clear on the concept of leadership teams, that we cannot under the circumstances have the mythical heroic leader who is all things to all people and is able to calculate loss and assess risk at the same time have the joyous, you know, enthusiasm of an entrepreneur. Um, we can't have the person who has, you know, the leader who has the agile mindset and is pivot, 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 as well as the mindset of an explorer who is, no, we'll just push on a little bit further. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a complete fracturing of psychological identity if we ask our managers and leaders to embrace all of these aspects of what successful life, organisational life might look like. However management teams that get really clear on what their strengths are and what their benefits are in terms of, okay, we do have someone who's who's an innovator and an entrepreneur on the team. We do have someone who is really attuned to the emotional status of the organisation. We have someone who is a fabulous frontier explorer. They're the organisations that are really going to flourish, I think. And I think... Let me just, one more thing and then I'm jumping over you, I promise, I'm not going to hog it. But I think whilst I talk about that at a leadership level, I actually think that's a model for team leaders. So I think that, you know, further down, mid, mid-level management, um, it doesn't matter where you go in the organisation hierarchically, but that's actually a model that positions us well in terms of how do we as a team care for each other, think ahead, innovate, those kind of things. Over to whoever. (laughs) Tell me who's talking next.
2: Tim. I'll speak. Yes, there's so much in what you say, Jen, and I I really agree with it all. Um, I I, I think we are seeing a lot of heroism from our leaders. Um, I think one thing that we need to be mindful of is, I mean, heroism can be a very kind of, it's, you know, traditionally it's this sort of like masculinist, individualist kind of virtue. And I know that, let me just say, before I say anything more, that I have lots of American friends, but um, I, I have noted that coming out of America, um, there is a lot, increasing amount of kind of heroic individualism um, around dealing with risk and confronting the risk of The virus. I mean, just today I was watching a uh, a Twitter video of of a lawyer in Florida who was basically saying, you know, all you people in blue states, you know, just you're just a bunch of wimps. You know, Um, real men go out there and they they party hard and they they go back to work because they're not afraid of a little virus kind of thing. And uh, we definitely should avoid that kind of heroism right? That, that's just reckless and, and foolish. I, I think we need to be thinking about, we need to be rethinking heroism and, and think, think of it more as a kind of a, a team sport, so, uh, something that is, is created through solidarity and, and, and empathy and communication. So just leaping from that to your point about um, the cross-function, the, the benefit of cross-functional teams, I think that's absolutely essential particularly for the Agile organization. Um, and uh, look, one other thing that came to mind, and this may just be completely tangential, is Dave Snowden, the, the uh, uh, guy who came up with uh, the Kunifin um, f- uh, framework, um, has this great idea about um, how important it is right now for um, companies to be mixing up crisis response teams with, it, with their innovation teams because there is so much innovation that's going on within organizations at the moment, at the top and on the ground floor. Um, uh, let's not let it all just kind of like disappear as people forget. Let's actually capture it and document it and figure out how we can turn into new processes and new cultural rituals and, and new, new business models and innovations as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, th- that raises for me... Because, like, when I think about those guys, they've got really specific tools. You know, a tool set that's very different to your BCP tool set. Can we can we just check in with each of our specific disciplines? Is there a is is there a specific tool that you wish that managers and leaders would use more of going forward that will be helpful to them? You know, what what are our? And you can have more than one tool, but thinking at a real tactical level, what should the managers be using in their organisations at the moment with our particular context?
1: I'll say something. I just, um, at the risk of of being a bit um, ridiculous, I think they should be using their ears (laughs) (laughs) and their voices and just listening and talking. I, I think rather than any sort of i'm talking specifically communication here but yeah rather than recommending everyone uses yammer or whatever i um i think that the the personal connection has been critical and i know a lot of organizations have put in place like check-ins where a manager will will check in with their employees once a week just a quick phone call to check in how you are how amazing is it that we needed a global crisis to get managers to do that no. um, but uh, you know good managers know that that's something that they should have been doing anyway but um it, you know I think um from a communication perspective and a collaboration perspective I think that interpersonal communication skills have never been m- more important tools than they are now excellent Hayley you were going to say
3: I'd, I'd absolutely echo um, what Melissa said. And there's a reason for that as well. I I have become far more questioning of information and research and models and frameworks during this pandemic than I ever have before. In fact, it's made me question how little I used to question stuff. And so what does that mean? I'm loathe actually to recommend some of the the kind of um, psychological concepts or frameworks because actually they come from a certain perspective. So often they're driven from America by white elitist uh, universities uh, and so from a male perspective as well, which kind of taps into to what Melissa's been saying um, about how we judge leaders uh, based on their gender. And so it's really got me thinking about change management methodology, around stuff around innovation, around stuff around teams and what it means to have an effective team. And, and I find, certainly I find my own profession wanting there's a lack of diverse views that that kind of are fueling and have been fueling um, helpful frameworks, etc. Which is why I really like Melissa's um, suggestion, um, which is simple, which which we can all do, is which is to listen more. But I would also add, ask more questions. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, I completely agree with Melissa. Leaders uh, need to be listening and building cash- gardening tools in the organization um you know um well what i mean is uh, we we need to be thinking about growing new organizations uh which is a process and it it takes place over over time and um you know culture is often seen as a kind of an architecture that you design and then impose on an organization, but really the companies that have a flourishing culture have slowly built their culture through a long process of, you know, planting and weeding and seeding and cross-planting and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think that's the kind of mindset that leaders need to have as they think about building more human-centered organizations that uh, are based in solidarity. Um, in addition, I, I can't but resist throwing a single framework. I'm really impressed with the um, uh, Alexander Osterwalder's uh, latest book, uh, The Invincible Company. It's the latest in the Strategizer series. And and that's based around this idea of the um, the dual operating system, which I think is very powerful, uh, for a long time, um, leaders have been trying to figure out how to make their organizations more innovative and entrepreneurial, and this, they've been placing huge demands on uh, their their staff uh, who are expected to be both, you know, entrepreneurs and and people focused on execution. The dual operating system separates out those functions, um, and it's it's a really sort of it's a really elegant and tidy way of thinking about how you can how you can distinguish the parts of your organisation that are focused on new developments, parts of your organisation that are just focused on business as usual, which which is, is, is the backbone of any company. So I think that book's an important one.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I am going to give three tools because uh, I have thought about this and I think, um, but they do respond to Haley's challenge. And I think that the first thing for me is that, People are going to be in a heightened sense of threat for some time. And so if I think about, you know, and, and this is Haley's challenge to change practitioners to look at their own practice, right? And I think if, as a change practitioner, if you are not skilling up and schooling up in neuroscience to understand how brains respond under threat, then your practice is going to be wanting right you just will not be particularly effective so you know I think the first tool is mindfulness you know how do we introduce mindfulness in our teams and our organizations the various practices to help people maintain a state of calm and reduce the threat I think the the other things and okay I've you know this is why my business has moved more towards agile change and again it's There are tools in the Agile Change Toolkit that are really important. The retrospective, incredibly important in pausing, assessing what do we do next. Um, You know, I think the co-creation, the practice of co-creation, if you're doing anything in your organisations going forward and you have not used co-creation as part of your approach and methodology, um, I think that's going to be really fraught fraught with problems. So that's my thinking on tools, but I can't argue with asking more questions and listening listening more, speaking less, you know. I think that's beautiful. And um, just in case listeners are, are now trying to say, what, what did you say and what were the tips, I will include um, the reference links to anything that's been spoken about in uh, the blog post that comes out of this. Okay, I'm mindful that we're getting pretty close to the end of this. Um, I did have one question which threw me and it threw me because it revealed my bias. Um, and the question was going into the workplace or re-entering our workplace, how do we as managers um, re-establish relationships and reconnect And why this threw me was that it didn't occur to me that that would be a necessary thing. I felt that whatever your relationship was before COVID is probably still the same kind of relationship. Um, And so that's obviously a blind spot for me. I'm curious your thoughts on this notion of do relationships have to be renegotiated and, you know, reconnected, reestablished in this new world?
1: Melissa? Yeah. I, I think they do. I think there is going to be a um, kind of a rebalancing of things and, and I think it could be as simple as the fact that working remotely has potentially created new connections that didn't exist before. I know in one of the organisations I work with, I've I've just found myself, you know, messaging yes. with, with someone who um, I don't usually interact with because, you know, she... Um, isn't part of the same area, and uh, but we've just found we have things in common, so we've got a new connection. Um, I think, though, sort of if I take it a bit bigger and think more broadly, um, kind of putting on my amateur philosopher hat, borrowing it from Tim, um, I think that there's a, an interesting there's an interesting concept that we need to think about around the sense of belonging that people have to organisations and how this has made it probably more acute in either direction, either they feel a much greater sense of belonging or perhaps um, more alienated from, from their organisation. And I think in when it comes to reconsidering what the workplace is, I have been like practically thinking about office spaces, right? So we have all of these massive office spaces. If we end up with a large proportion of organisations having employees continuing to work uh, from home, what do you do with this office space Like that's just sitting there? What does that become? And I've been paralleling that with, uh, I guess, the journey that the retail um, industry has been going through over the last few years and thinking about, well, their business moved virtual, it became online and they were left with shops and what did they do with those, you know, bricks and mortar stores? They turned them into experience centres where you come and interact with a brand um, and you get um, an experience and a, a service but your purchasing perhaps happens um, in a different way. And and so I'm wondering if offices are going to become an experience center for want of a better word where you reconnect with your organization whether that's relationships or culture or value or your sense of belonging and I don't think that that looks the way it used to look I I don't think it's as simple as going back and sitting back at the same desk as you used to sit at and just picking up your tools and starting again Um, I don't necessarily have the answer to that i'm afraid but um, i think it's something that we should be thinking about when the um we go through the sort of staged return to office spaces you know even if people are going to, have to be sitting distanced from each other what does that mean how do we make that work how do we still make offices a place that people want to go to because of their sense of belonging and a need for community and interaction when we need to you know keep them socially distanced so sorry that's a long ramble on philosophical topics but um it's definitely something that i've been thinking a lot about yeah it's great uh turning to the professional philosopher who is
0: indeed wearing a hat at the moment for those listening
2: a beanie philosophical beanie
0: yeah a philosophical beanie (laughs) it's very cold in tim's place
2: look i I think the points have been made are just Really good, and I'm not sure that I have a lot to add. I feel like I I, I just want to kind of like draw out some of the ideas that have been shared. Um, I think the best way to reconnect with people is to um, is to is to speak to their sense of of value and also their sense of need. I mean, I think I think leaders have to keep in mind that society and individuals, uh, we're we're kind of traumatized. You know, we've we've gone through a big shock and the shocks are continuing and leaders need to respect that. The whole idea of going back to the new normal, it doesn't make sense to me, frankly. I I think we should be talking about the new abnormal, um, the new, you know, radically uncertain and precarious and and threatening and, and, and risky and upsetting. Um, because this is what we're going to be passing through together. So I think that, that there are three things that come to mind. Um, uh, first, uh, as, as Melissa says, leaders should give people the opportunity to speak and they, and they should listen. Um, uh, I think that's very important. Make people feel included, make them feel like they are being heard. Like they're, they're really part of the organization and leaders want to hear their views. Um, Build that sense or or hold on to that sense of we're all in this together. That's that's the key to a lasting culture, I think. Um and it's it's all about empathy, it's about communication, um and solidarity, um, while allowing people the opportunity to you know be individuals and and try new things out. Um, you know, we're not, not talking about the new communist organization or anything like that. Um And finally, just, uh, you know, I I really think this is the time for leaders to double down on purpose. Um, Purpose has been this idea that's been bandied around for so long, but it's just so, it's so key to our times and so necessary for the future. I think people will respond to that. And (laughs) leaders who can really do that in an authentic way and make it central to the organization will create very powerful cultures uh, hopefully that we will see their organisations through all of this.
0: Fabulous. Haley. last word to you. Um, so I just want to pick
3: up on Tim's initial point. Um, it's, it's a suggestion I, I made on another uh, podcast, which is recognise that however you come back together, whether it's kind of some of you are virtual, some of you are kind of physically together, at least there'll be a handful of your if you're a team manager for example some of your team will be grieving because they might have lost people close to them um, as a result as a direct or an indirect result of covid so there's something about recognizing and holding space around bereavement uh, including your own you might have experienced it yourself as a as a manager so there's something about respecting that which goes full circle back to my point about we can't just shoot back up to the surface. From a practical perspective, I think there's a useful exercise for leaders, anybody in kind of a leadership and people management position to do. And you can do this yourself as an individual, but you can also get all of your direct reports to do it as individuals, which is some reflection around, in terms of my behaviour or behaviours, What have been the most helpful behaviours that I've either introduced or actually I've done more of that I want to keep because it will help with the sense of belonging and purpose? What actually have I learnt about myself in terms of my behaviours and who I am that's a hindrance to my team and their performance and how they gel together? And so what do I need to stop? And is there anything actually I'm not doing at all that maybe I should bring in because there's an opportunity? And asking yourself and reflecting on those questions, but also getting your team members to do that and then having a conversation around that could be a helpful way, not only to start to forge a sense of belonging uh, or re a sense of belonging, but off the back of that, you start to kind of get your charter and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, so so
0: thinking about what you want
3: to stop, start bringing be helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: What a fabulous way to end what has been a really, really valuable conversation. Um, Tim Rayner, Hayley Lewis, Melissa Dark, thank you so much for making the time to walk into this virtual bar and uh, answer a few questions. The For those listening, um, this, of course, will be turned into a podcast like they normally are and I will make sure that any of the um, References that have been made will be included in the podcast, uh, so look out for that if you want further detail. Um, Tim, Haley, and Melissa are, are quite easy to find on Twitter. Um, they've done exceptionally well because uh, I asked them that they had to expand more than two hundred and eighty characters, and they have. So, you know, it actually can happen. And I'm sure if you really enjoyed this conversation, they would appreciate you connecting with them, letting them know on LinkedIn. Um, put those details in as well but for now um listeners we wish you well in going only forward um whatever that looks for you and uh we hope that it is a kind re-entry reintegration reboarding whatever it is and one that actually brings you joy uh and success but thanks for now listeners
1: thank
0: you (laughs) You've been listening to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram. You can find many more resources on leading change at my website, drjenfram.com. I welcome feedback on what else you'd like to hear on the podcast. Why not connect with me on Twitter at Jen Fram or LinkedIn?